0: Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is your source for discussions on music, literature, movies, pop culture, theology, and more. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of the Voices in My Head podcast. And don't forget to let the voices in your head be heard by following me on Twitter at Rick Lee James and sharing your thoughts about today's show.
1: Welcome back to the Voices in My Head
0: podcast. As always, I am your host, Rick Lee James, and I'm really thrilled about today's episode. I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation that we have together today. We are going to be talking about communion today. You may call it the Eucharist. A lot of different people have a lot of different ways that they celebrate it, and I have with me today on the podcast two really cool people that we're going to get to have a chance to talk with. I have Matthew Price and Lisa Michaels, and I'm going to share a bit more about them in a moment, but I want to tell you why we're going to be discussing this today. Many of you may know if you follow me online at uh, my website, rickleyjames.com or Facebook or Twitter or the a million other places uh, that you might go, that I have a new music video coming out on Ash Wednesday, March 1st, which at the time of recording this, it's a week from today, exactly one week. The video is called The Invitation, and my goal in the video is that it would be a tool for churches to use or maybe even just for individual use when people watch it, that they would be reminded of the connection between the Lord's Table and the way that we are to go into the world and call others to the table, to invite them to a literal meal together. So in the music video, you'll see in about a week, whenever it releases, that we make the connections uh, through the song to talk about the invitation to every daughter, to every son, to every tribe, to every tongue, um, to each person who is seeking out God, knowing that God is seeking out them as well. So the table that we come to really... Uh, it's the Lord's table. It's, it's, it's not even the church's table. It's the table of the Lord that he has made ready, that he calls the church to. And so I am really excited with the release of this new music video and the new single from my album, Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations, to have this conversation today. And so I went online, as sometimes I do, and I went to, I believe it was the Sacramental Nazarene webpage, and I just asked, hey, anybody interested in having a conversation on the Eucharist? I had several people, and the ones who, uh, who made the cut for today uh, were Matt Price and Lisa Michaels. So let me tell you about them, and then we're going to talk to them today. Um, first of all, we have Matt Price. He teaches intercultural studies at Mount Vernon Nazarene University, And he is the pastor of the Shepherd's House, a church of the Nazarene that meets in a local pub. So I'm looking forward to talking about that a little bit. And then we have Lisa Michaels. Now, her bio is a little bit longer, so bear with me. It's a great bio. Uh, Elle Michaels, as she goes by online, is a follower of Jesus, theology student, author, blogger, editor, educator, wife, mom, and aspiring peacemaker. She has a BSM, that's Business Management, degree from Indiana Wesleyan University, and an MA and an MDiv, both in theology and spiritual formation from Northwest Nazarene University. I was just out there a couple weeks ago. Very nice. L writes about theology, the sacraments, and ministry to the least of these at flipflopsglitterandtheology.com. In her spare time, she sings and dances with babies and teaches early childhood music. She plans outlandish vacations, drinks, voluminous, I'm not even sure I pronounced that right, voluminous amounts of peppermint bark mocha <laughs> and masquerades as a Catholic so she can participate in the Eucharist more often. <laughs> so uh, so Lisa and Matt, thank you for being my guest this week on Voices in My Head. Yeah, thanks for, thanks having, for us. having us. Yeah. So just to make it clear for Lisa, uh, uh, by her name online that she goes by, it's just the letter L, Michaels, Right yes thank you okay sure thing so i just wanted to make sure that our <laughs> listeners knew that and and matt price uh, it's great to have you with us and and you know just from bio alone uh you uh you're going to have some competition with lisa because yours was so short and hers was so you know verbose <laughs> <both> today but. <laughs> Oh man, well, well, where to to start a conversation like this today? I've been wondering that and and feeling like it because there are so many places that we could take this conversation. And I think I'm going to start this way. I want to ask you first, Matt. Tell me about your background in the church and where communion, how you first experienced communion, and maybe a little about how you experience it. How how maybe it has changed over the years, I guess, maybe your view on communion. If that's not too broad of a question, and then I'm going to ask you the same question, Lisa.
2: Yeah, sure. I'll kind of do the the, the bio first. Sure. And actually, I can, I can kind of weave my perception of uh, the Eucharist uh, through the bio. I did not grow up in the church uh, at all, and I but I came into uh, faith uh, along the same time as um, – a church of the Nazarene, uh, just down the road from my house, took an interest in me, and um, so I kind of became a Christian um, through reading Scripture and and praying. And I, I wasn't even sure—I mean, I didn't know at the time that that was devotions, but I was having devotions every night mm. and reading through Scripture, a chapter a chapter at a time, praying, sensing God coming alive in my life. And a, a youth pastor named Mark Ledford and a vanload of teenagers showed up at my house. Uh, they were going out to visit some of the fringe kids I'd kind of attended with my grandparents and my my dad occasionally and um, they came and, and and found me and invited me if they would have invited me to church I would not have gone uh, and I would have said no thanks appreciate the offer but nah, not gonna not gonna go there but they invited me to a mud football game and so I went and um, it was guys and girls it was it was fun it was just, this just great engagement I realized that. You know, they had uh, answers and insights into some of the things I've been reading in scripture. And I just knew that, um, you know, God had gotten a hold of my heart. And now he he gave me a, a home, you mm-hmm. know, a place to, to be. And I didn't miss a single church event for the rest of high school. And uh, it wasn't long after that that was uh, sensed a, a call to, to missions, which it was expanded into a call, a general call to ministry um, that into a uh, professional ministry. And. It wasn't until, you know, through high school, that in college, I uh, was involved with student ministry organizations and, uh, you know, kind of actively engaged in some churches and some urban ministry uh, plunges. In fact, for me, just ministry was always being active, being engaged. There wasn't a way, there wasn't a definition of the Christian life that was just uh, purely, you know, kind of spiritual or ephemeral. Um, it was always hands-on. Uh but it was when I went to seminary in Kansas City in the mid-90s, um, and really it was a class with Rob Staples. Uh, it was two things. First thing was the first church that we visited, and we actually were there for six months until I went on staff at another one, um, was Overland Park Church of the Nazarene. And it was the first time I'd experienced this blending of contemporary sensitivities and music and worship with... Um, weekly Eucharist and following the lectionary as a guide for preaching and, and teaching. And, and, um, it was just, it was, it was new to me. Hmm. I, and, uh, then I had a class, you know, that many of us did while we were there, uh, in theology of the sacraments with Rob Staples, which solidified any misunderstanding I may have had about the importance of, of Eucharist the importance of this, um, coming together with Christ uh, in, a, in a very profound unique tangible hands-on way hmm. I mean this is I, kind of, I saw this affirmation but I found the symbolism uh, the kind of the real symbolism in um, in the practice of the Eucharist and really since then from there I went on I was a youth pastor for a while in Kansas City was a curriculum editor for NYI and children's ministries for a while um, served as a, a Methodist pastor and um, while, while I was working in curriculum for the Church of Nazarene, while I was pursuing my, my doctorate, and then um, at, at the University of Kansas in education. And then um, it was during that time that, that that not too long ago call to, to serve as a missionary came back up uh, to the surface, and uh, it was never really gone, but it was – we sort of pursuing it uh, diligently, about four years uh, of intense uh, working through the process – we went to West Africa, and we were there and a few other places for about, I don't know, five years. And It was interesting because it was in a West – well, you know, we had weekly communion at the – well, we didn't have weekly communion. We had kind of a regular communion at the, um, at the small Methodist church, which was probably more Nazarene than they realized. It was a little country hmm. church and had a lot of uh, uh, sensitivities, you know, to some of the mid-century evangelical – approaches to, to life so we had we had a regular communion about once a month and um, but when we went to, to West Africa you know it was a, a, a part of the world where the church was associated with the, the early colonists uh, uh, you know France Portuguese and uh, and so communion or the Eucharist was kind of associated with that as well hmm. and um, but I, I there was an element of some of the younger leaders all everyone was young uh, and their um uh, Half of the population of Africa is under the age of 15. And so, as you can imagine, leaders with, within the church, at least where we were at, we were at a place where the church was only around there for about 10 years, our, our denomination. And so the leaders were fairly young and they were still open. Some of the older pastors were very resistant to anything that spoke of, you know, Roman Catholicism or anything that kind of represented because they had all lived through the independence movements of the fifties and sixties and the residue. And so they were very, they had kind of associated all these things together. Hmm. And I was told that, you know, many African leaders would not be open to, um, you know, practicing the sacraments as, as I came to, to believe, uh, their significance to be And I, um, I, I, but I noticed that younger leaders were, were right on track. They tracked with this. They, they saw the importance of that tangible symbolism of that the, the as long as there was a life that matched it, that that tangible symbol of God's grace was, was something that they sought. Hmm. And um, we also spent some time in France and South Africa, and and it was during that time that I actually began to kind of compose my um, philosophy of ministry. And my philosophy of ministry has actually become um, that that a minister is the sacramental presence
1: hmm.
2: of of God in this world wow. um, and that we are broken and poured out. So i realize you know, I, sometimes I wonder, what am I doing here as a missionary? What am I doing here on this earth as a minister? What am I doing? And you, we ask these questions, right? We're in ministry or whether we're and kind of engaged as a very active layperson, or kind of uh, uh, in a professional setting. And, um, you know, it's like, you know, I'm being broken and poured out. So we're a sacramental presence, and so that's really become my, my, the basis of what I, I think I do now. Uh, we left. We left there, kind of completed some of the work that we were doing um, in the particular place that we were located in Benin. Beautiful, wonderful people and place, and they've. They've. We were to transition from uh, missionary leadership to locally le- local leadership, and they've uh, done ex- abundantly more than we could have ever have done um, on our own, or even while still there. And returned to the U.S. for about a year, still a missionary contract, and then uh, started here at MBNU and to teach Christian education, and then eventually now intercultural studies. About a year ago, I've been here about eight years, and I was talking to a fellow colleague here, um, and we were kind of complaining about, you know, the need for like a word and table service, and you know, Central Ohio, sure. uh, North Central Ohio in particular is, um, you know, Cleveland and the Great Lakes has a strong East European uh, history, immigrant history. Uh, Along with that came Roman Catholicism with, uh, you know, the Italian population and uh, Spanish population. Some of the early French settlers, some of the earliest European settlers were French missionaries. Mm. And you see some of the names kind of uh, reflecting that in some of the place names. Um, And then we also had, you know, a lot of Eastern Europeans, like Russian Orthodox, Ukrainian Orthodox. In fact, there are many homes uh, in which Russian uh, and other Eastern European languages are still spoken. And, and so there's a kind of a resistance to anything just like those first few years in West Africa toward anything that kind of smells hints at, you know, reflects anything that had to do with Roman Catholicism yeah. or anything similar, you know, even an Orthodox, more of a liturgical tradition. Cause we also yeah. have that, that we're kind of on that. Then the, the Southern half of Ohio is, you know, the Appalachian, you know, freewheeling, you know, you know, um, um you know, don't don't hold us back, you know, kind of uh, expressive types of worship, you know, and, and you know, the tangible sacrament did not always play into that that mindset. And so we had this kind of collusion. Well, um, I was talking to this colleague about the need for a word in table service, and oh, we really missed, you know, that kind of emphasis. And no lie, I was 20 minutes after that conversation ended, I was walking out of uh, my office, out of the building, and I get a text from a district superintendent who says, hey, I'd like to talk to you about the shepherd's house. And I'm like, oh. I know what this is. I could. I just. I just knew. Oh man, he's he's looking for a pastor because I, I knew they were looking. And I'm going. And I know that they were historically. They've been. They they've been around now for 13 years. They started kind of in the late 90s. And I'm not sure you may all recall the the influence of the ancient future, you know, inflecting Robert Weber and, sure. and all that was taking place. And it kind of emerged during that time that the founding pastor Cynthia Stevenson. She Stevenson. She was, you know, looking for a, a way to create a, a kind of a, a body. Uh, that was a kind of a church for those who were done with church. I mean, this was, and, and that there was a, you know, a, an emphasis on the, the ancient practices. And, um, and so it is always, it's been in the DNA of the church since it started. And uh, it had a, a, long time pastor, about eight years. Uh, Gary Silverite was pastor for about a year. Joe Noonan was pastor. Both, both were bivocational and, um, were doing multiple things. And, and so when I took it on last year, um, you know, it had already had this history of uh, Eucharist, uh, strong high Eucharist practice and, uh, you know, following the, the lectionary and its teaching and preaching. And so I was very fortunate, but I knew, mm-hmm. you know, I was kind of griping a little bit early in the day, then later in the day, here I am getting a call to this, what eventually was a call to this, this church to begin continuing that ministry. And so now we... Uh, We were in the middle of uh, kind of planning house churches on campus and off campus, uh, and the the format of those churches, led by our our associate pastor, Hank Spalding, revolves around the Eucharist. We have students who are district licensed, and they they, they read the Word, they hear the Word, Hmm. they uh, experience the Word visibly through the Eucharist, and they... um, they hear from one another, they pray for one another, and then they go live it out. Uh, what we, we, they belong, they, they believe, and they, they behave as Christ would in this world. And um, and we're trying to take that. Now that we're seeing that kind of influence come back into um, our local congregation, uh, the past year we, w- we went from an eight-year, just real quickly, an eight-year uh, long-term lease. We, we lost the lease within four days, uh, just a simple question, to a local a pub owner about 200 yards from our, our former location said, hey, uh, you know, you guys aren't up until noon on Sunday. Would you uh, be willing to have a church meet here? And um, he said, sure. And uh, no hesitation at all. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And um, we we actually are saving 90% of our uh, capital expense that we were uh, paying out. Um, It was just an amazing – and they're beautiful host, willing, welcome host. Sometimes some of the workers and even the owner will come out uh, during – uh, the worship time or during the practice of the worship team, and they'll kind of stand on, on the other side of the room kind of looking in. And we have someone who was working in the kitchen who said, you know, she can't go to church. She's working seven days a week. But, you know, the owner told her, well, guess what? You know, the church is coming to you. <laughs> and awesome. yeah. and so we, we meet in the bar, and uh, we needed about 80 Space for about 80. They've got 80 tables and chairs, and uh, including the the chairs around the bar. And they've got a little platform for the the worship band. And um, we have communion every Sunday. And I'll just do this. I'll finish up with this. So one thing I've kind of begun over the last year that was kind of my uh, small contribution to, to a rich practice that was already in place there is that we have we've always had they've always had someone from the congregation, three different individuals read from the word, read each of the three primary uh, texts for the morning and um, from the old Testament, from the new Testament, from the gospels. Uh, Then those three who read it, it's a different three every week. um, It's those three who come forward and help me distribute communion uh, in three different stations by intention. And the idea is that the word that is preached, the word that is heard, Um, is communicated through the body uh, that also offers uh, God's word visibly. And uh, that's kind of just a quick, probably too long (laughs) (laughs) overview of of (laughs) what we do. So that's a little bit of my story, a little bit of what we do.
0: Well, that's great, man. I I look forward to hearing more about that. What a cool ministry. And I, I think that's so beautiful what you're doing there. And, my favorite part of that story is when you talked about the person working in the kitchen and the saying they can't go to church because they're working seven days a week and bringing the church to them. That's amazing. I love that. Wow. So, um, well, let's, let's move over and, and let Lisa share a bit of her story. And uh, same, same question really for you, kind of your background and maybe the way that your view of communion has uh, come to be shaped over the years.
3: Okay, so um, I think my biography pales in comparison to Matt's now. but um...
0: <laughs> It's true. It's true. <laughs>
3: Basically, I grew up very confused about communion. Um, I had a Protestant mom and a Catholic dad. And um, it seemed like everywhere I went as a child, the table was closed to me. So um, we would go to... Um, Catholic services sometimes with our extended family, and um, my very Protestant mom would would stand there, and when it would be time for the Eucharist, she would just kind of pull me down into the seat, and it was like, oh, no, 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 we can't do this because, you know, this is a Catholic church, and then I would go to Protestant worship on a regular basis, and um, it was a non-Nazarene church that I grew up in. And the pastor there was actually very um, vocal about communion not being something that children should ever participate in. And I can remember being terrified because he would actually, I know as an adult now that it was him doing this, but he would stand behind the communion table and he would shake it as if, you know, if a child were to come up and touch this table, you know, God would just like strike them down. This was like this magical table that we couldn't (laughs) touch. So I couldn't participate in the Eucharist with my Catholic family and I couldn't participate in the Eucharist with my Protestant family. And as a child, it probably just kind of seemed unfair as if everybody else was you know sharing a snack, and I was not invited to that table. Mm. So, as I got a little older, um, I was eventually invited to the to the Church of the Nazarene with a friend of mine. and um, I should probably back up just a little bit. When I was 10, I was baptized. Now I was allowed to have communion in my Protestant church. And I remember my first experience with communion being rather frightening, because I sat there and as the elements were passed, I yeah. thought, "What if I'm not good enough to take this? What if I drink this grape juice and lightning strikes? You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not sure that I have prepared myself enough, become good enough, become holy enough to be a part of of this community and this communion." Hmm. And so eventually I did end up in a different church, um, the church of the Nazarene. And it blew me away because when they did offer the Eucharist, which wasn't all that often, but sometimes everyone was invited to the table. And I thought, how does this even work? You know, for years I was afraid to come to this table and now it's like, there's this family, this community and everyone is welcome to come. And, um, As I grew older, I I didn't always understand or I didn't ever understand maybe what the sacraments actually meant. I just knew that now I was invited and I wanted to participate and I was a part of this. So um, eventually, life led me to some theological education, and I grew more and more deeply interested in the sacraments, um, particularly in baptism and the Eucharist, but also the other Catholic sacraments, because I had that sort of in my background and in the back of my mind that, that sacraments mattered, and there were many of them, and they were important. But I still didn't really know what it was that we were celebrating when we participated in the Eucharist. In some ways, it still sort of felt like it was just a Sunday morning snack. Hmm. And so I began to read and study. I certainly read um, Outward Sign, Inward Grace, and um, just started to read as many things as I could about the sacraments. And when I began my studies at NNU, I started to ask other students and professors. I hear that we're saying that the sacraments are important, that we're offering grace, that we're accepting grace, that God is offering to us, but what grace is it that that we're receiving when when we participate in the Eucharist? And I often felt like people would um do their very best to answer that question but I still walked away with the same question. So I probably became very irritating to all of my professors because class after class, I would say, what is this grace? Is it, is it salvation? And I feel like Wesley does talk a little bit about how the sacraments can be salvific in nature, but I would ask, is this, is this just a sign? Is anything actually happening here? Hmm. And for me, I think things became very clear when I found myself sort of on the other side of the table. Um, My family did some work in Peru, Indiana, which is um, the most undereducated and underemployed community in the state of Indiana. And when we started working with the people there, what we really noticed most was that these people were hungry. Hmm. So, our table at our home became very open, not necessarily a Eucharistic table, but our dinner table. And we started inviting people into our table and found that hungry people will come. And as the word spreads, more and more of them will come. Um, And we actually got to the point where people were eating all over our house. They were in the playroom and the living room and the kitchen. And at some point I looked around and I thought, why are we only having this meal together? Why are we not also celebrating the Eucharist together? Hmm. Because this was ministry and this was changing lives. It it needed to be about something more than physical food. Mm -hmm. So as we began to celebrate the Eucharist with these people who were coming in and out of our home, um, it just became obvious that spiritually hungry people will come for this meal. Hmm this body and blood of Christ. And we didn't need to say things like, oh, this isn't really the physical body of Christ, or this isn't really the blood of Christ. I feel like sometimes um, in our Protestant traditions, we say things like that. But instead to invite people in and to say, this is the real presence of God. As you consume it, you are becoming the body of Christ, the blood of Christ to be sent back out into the world to reach more hungry people. Hmm. And it occurred to me that the grace that we have, it is salvific, but it is also just the grace to become a part of the church, the grace to become a part of community. And um, I love how communion and community sound sort of similar my six-year-old daughter, Maya, she can't quite get the words right. And she'll say, are we having community today? <laughs> Whenever she sees grape juice. And I I wanted to correct her at first. And then I thought, no, you're absolutely right. This is when we come together. We eat this meal together to become the community, the body, the hands and feet of Jesus to go back out into our community that may or may not know Jesus and needs an invitation to this open table. Hmm. So over the years for us, I'm sure we've had um, kind of an unusual setup um, at our table. Um, A lot of the people that come, and I really resonated with Matt's story about his church when he said um, something to the effect of, this is a church for people who are kind of done with the church or who have been kind of burned by the church. Mm -hmm. Those are the kinds of people that we began to bring in as well. And so many of them, um, they're just the kind of people that maybe a typical church wouldn't welcome to the table, but they need a place too. So I think I learned to not fear all the differences and all the, um, just diverse people that come through our lives and to our homes, but to make our table large enough that we are including grace for everyone. Mm -hmm. And um, some scripture was coming to mind this morning um, from Proverbs 3 that it says, we're not to withhold good from people when it's in our power to act. And I thought, we have this grace. We have this meal. We have this table where God acts. And offers grace to people, we really can't withhold that from anyone.
0: Yeah. Well, that's that's a wonderful story. Thank you for for sharing that with us. And I think there's a lot of places we could go just in both of your conversations. And one thing that stood out to me as I listened to you both tell your story and sort of where communion has gone uh, in your own life is the idea of of a meal that invites. Uh, keeps coming back, and I love that. Uh, when we were shooting the music video um, that I'm about to release, we shot it over two different days, and on the first day, we actually went to a Lutheran church in downtown Dayton, Ohio. And the thing that's so special about this Lutheran church is not that just that it's a beautiful church, uh, but in the basement of the church, down below, in the part that's not quite as beautiful, there's a fellowship hall. And every single Sunday morning, they've been doing this for about eight years, they have a meal that is offered to anybody in the community that needs it. And they have other churches that come and sponsor. And they don't just put out cereal. I mean, they make a feast every Sunday morning. And it's it's early in the morning. It's still dark outside. And people come in droves, people that maybe didn't have a meal um, that week. And like you said, when you offer a meal, people come. And... It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen, and one of the most diverse groups of people that I've ever seen. You know, and I I think in churches, sometimes, unfortunately, we still are the most segregated place I can think of in this country. (laughs) And we came to this meal together, and there was all, you know, different walks of life coming in. Some people knew each other, some people didn't. Um, But, you know, as they sat eating their biscuits and gravy, and, and this really good you know, breakfast food, something a lot of people probably go to a restaurant for, honestly. Um, They were sharing together, and I sat down at the table with them and introduced myself to many of them, as many as I could, and kind of talked about what we were doing. And every Sunday at the close of the meal, um, they allow people who don't want to stay to go, but they have a worship service, and they always end that with the Eucharist um, because they want to emphasize in that community that just like you said, this is an invitation, um, and what we do in this meal to feed physical souls is is, is what we do spiritually to feed uh, ourselves as believers, uh, or as Wesley called it, uh, the sustaining meal of the believer. And so I really like that we're talking about the idea of invitation. Um, I, I hesitate uh, to know where to take the conversation next exactly, because... One thing when we talk about communion, and those of you listening to this today, you'll know that all three of us come from the Nazarene Church, which is very Wesleyan in our background. And I thought, well, we could talk about different views from different denominations, but maybe the most beneficial thing for us is to just have a conversation about what it means in the Wesleyan tradition and to maybe look at some of the words of Wesley and and why communion is so important to us. Because I think in our denomination um, we don't realize how connected to the table we have been through Wesley or, or that we probably should be. Um, so one thing that I like um, about when I hear both of the stories that you're telling, um, in a sense when you're talking about Lisa having people into your home for food and then you end it with a meal, Um, And when and when you're talking about Matt meeting in a pub in a place outside the church, that's very early church. It's very early Christianity. Uh, And in fact, before Christianity had broken off from Judaism, my understanding is the only thing that differentiated it was the meal that would take place in people's homes after the service was over at the synagogue or with the, the temple worship that would happen. And they would meet in homes and they would shale, share the meal of Jesus, the sacramental meal. So it was it's very interesting to me that that actually was what made worship Christian um, for centuries and centuries. Uh, <laughs> it, it was the defining element. Christian worship had always been very Jewish, it stayed connected to being very Jewish, but it was that meal that took place after in the name of Jesus, the invitation and the invite that actually took place around tables um, where the sacraments uh, were held together that, that makes it very significant, I think. And so it's something that we probably should look at a little more. So let's, let's continue this conversation for the next few minutes that we have. I'm going to read some things that Wesley wrote about communion because we are, we are nest- Wesleyan in our background. Many people listening are not Wesleyan, so maybe they um, don't know exactly where we're coming from on this. So I'm, I'm taking um, some places that, that Wesley wrote about uh, when he was trying to show that it was the duty of every Christian to receive the Lord's Supper as often as they could. And he had six reasons as to why. We'll get through as many as we can, but we'll stop and have comment with each one as much as we can, as time will allow. Um, so Wesley said the first reason why it is the duty of every Christian so to do communion um, because it is a plain command of Christ that this is, this is his command appears from the words of the text. Do this in remembrance of me. Um, by which the apostles were obliged to bless, break, and give bread to all that joined with them in holy things. So were all Christians obliged to receive those signs of Christ's body and blood. Um, so I, it goes on for a little bit more, but the first thing he says is it's a command from Jesus because Jesus told us, do this in remembrance of me. We do this in remembrance of him. So any, any thoughts that pop off the top of your head, just hearing that first thing that the, was the first of Wesley's reasons.
2: I just want right. to play off of Lisa's comment earlier. I, I just, you know, the, the beauty of that, that gathered around the table and the meal and her daughter's probably better understanding of communion than most of us have. Yeah. Um, You know, which is, and and it's one that that brings up a story for me. I've never, when we worked outside the U.S., particularly in Africa, you know, we were the only Nazarenes within an eight-hour, only Nazarene missionaries within an eight-hour drive of where we lived. And uh, so our, our, we had a, you know, we worked with our our church community and the people that we were involved with, and we also had a, a small house fellowship. Uh, that met at our house and our neighbors, and uh, usually expats uh, from about nine, twelve different countries and lots of different um, nationalities as well and languages represented but English was a common. And about once every couple of months, uh, the House fellowship uh, wanted to, uh, you know they would have they would have the Lord's Supper communion. And um they asked me if I was willing, and I was, oh, yeah, sure. on one condition, I would like the children. Uh, you know, permissible to, by the parents. I would like the children to be involved because usually that mm-hmm. we would they would send the children out while we took uh, communion mm-hmm. and and I said no, I, I want the children because you know my my children I want them to, to be involved with this sure. and man and I have ne- we the collaboration and fellowship and intense deep intimate relationships. I can't underestimate just how deep those are among missionaries.
0: Sure.
2: Um. And and uh, there were some yelling arguments <laughs> that emerged. Uh, someone got a little red in the face uh, about it being unfair that their children should be, uh, you know, that they should have to do this. and and you know, we had others from like a, a more of a kind of a, a reform tradition where just, you know, I don't know if this is good. I don't know if this is appropriate. you know And finally, they relented, and we did have communion with the children. And I go, you know, just explain to the when my kids are taking communion, you know you can explain to your, kids you know mm. why they're not <laughs> and or i i mean i kind of i might have said that in a snarky way but i also <laughs> followed it quickly with a, with a um you know explain they can watch what's going on and they can and you can, because I'll, I'll do a more of a teaching part of you know why this happens and kind of give some more depth to it and of course you know it, it went fine um but that was like one of the few times there was ever kind of a uh a, and it was you know these rifts are brief i mean it lasted for about maybe 30 minutes i do remember that you know there was a baptist and uh, presbyterians (laughs) and uh, mennonites and assemblies of god and you know us nazarenes and Mm -hmm. the the anglican the young lady who's an anglican um who's now an ordained anglican priest um at the time i just remember her during that discussion the heated discussion i'm not sure if it was yelling really but it was definitely heated um and intense just looking so confused at why people were so upset, which was such an Anglican approach, right? Sure. And yeah. it's like, well, this this makes sense. She's like right in the middle of some of the, the back and forth that was going on. Again, very appropriately Anglican, and um, and I just remember that. Um, I think the, the what we took, what I took away from it was here is the the doctrine, the teaching, the practice that really expresses, shows, reveals the unity of Christ's body. Hmm. But also shows the the brokenness, right, and the uh, the the, the um, you know I don't want to say division, but just the the rift, of the wounds that are still in the body, um, and and also you know the fact that you know we worked through it, you know we dealt with it, and and it it, it worked, it worked fine. Everyone and still close friends with everybody involved in that that room. Um, but it was just one of those moments where, you know, that, you know, Lisa raised the issue of invitation, and it was like, you know, everyone is invited to the table, and like her hesitancy as a child, and like these different perspectives, and not really being comfortable in any of those, um, and I, I, that's what I wanted to avoid, you know, with my own children, um, and yeah, and and other people's children, and I, I just, anyways, that's for me, that's when when Wesley talks about the duty of, you know, mm-hmm. the the obedient response i think of the hebrew you know mitzvah you know it's about the duty and the good deed that brings about god's blessing in this world um that that is what the eucharist can be as practiced and you know lisa reminded me of that and you reminded me of that as you were uh, citing uh wesley's um sermon on the duty of constant communion and just how important that is sure. and uh, that story just came to mind yeah
0: yeah so um so th- that that that's wonderful i love i love hearing that and i I do think it's important you know the that familial aspect of coming and and it is a a receiving of grace you know that we're teaching our children to accept the mercy um when they come together i think that's one reason that you know with wesley's first point it's one reason reason why we do this is we're accepting his invitation to the table and he is the host um well, let me get into a, a second reason here, and then Lisa will let you uh, do an answer on this one if anything uh, stands out to you, if, if that's all right, just for the sake of time today. All right. um, a second reason why why Wesley said every Christian should do this as often as he can is because the benefits of doing so are so great to all that uh, to do it in obedience to him, uh, it's it brings about the forgiveness of our past sins, a present strengthening, and a refreshing for our soul. Um, and and he says, uh, When we are convinced of having sinned against God, what surer way have we of procuring pardon from him than the showing forth of the Lord's death and beseeching him for the sake of his son's suffering to blot out all our sins so in that second point there's there's a lot there but he really is talking about it is a remembrance of the crucifixion too when we come together in a remembering of the shed blood that we come and so our way of acknowledging that you know and, and coming to uh, receive uh, forgiveness and present strength and a refreshing of our soul um, would, would you like to address anything in there from from that point lisa
3: Absolutely. I think that's really important. And I think it's especially important to us um, as Protestants, because I don't think we're always really good at communal confession. Mm. And when we come to the table together and we take the body and blood of Christ, I think that that reminds us of just the gravity of what Christ did for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, and, um, Sometimes we, and maybe even especially in holiness denominations, sometimes we sort of get into this rut where we think, well, I'm saved, I'm sanctified, I'm holy, and I never really have to confess again. And that's really dangerous because it's not only about, um, you know, some mortal enormous sins that we might have committed throughout the week, but just about the systemic sin and just the corporate sin and even just our responsibility to other people in the world and our responsibility for their hurt and for their pain and our need to be inviting them in to be a part of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. So I think when we really seriously take time to think about communion as confession and as the covering of our sins it helps us to go out um like like wesley said refreshed and ready maybe to live a better life this week where we are making things right in the world
0: right oh that's really good stuff Mm -hmm. and and that's That's... you know that actually leads into the next thing i was going to read from wesley here when we talk about holiness or as it's often talked about in the nazarene church christian perfection Um, I I may be putting a little bit into Wesley's mouth to say this, but I really think his understanding about communion was not only that Christian perfection or holiness can't take place outside of community, and it can't take place without the table. Um, And and this is what I'm going to read to kind of back up that statement of of my putting words into his mouth, so to speak. Um, He says, the grace of God given herein confirms us the pardon of sins by enabling us to leave them. Uh, as our bodies are strengthened by bread and wine, so our souls, by these tokens of the body and blood of Christ, this is the food for our souls. This gives strength to perform our duty and leads us on to perfection. And I, I love that, like when he's talking about the table, um, how it's it's... It goes together with our idea of holiness, and goes on to say this is the true rule. So often uh, are we to receive as God gives us opportunity, and He goes on to to talk about you know just receiving it as much as we can. So, I think it's interesting that that He puts it that way. That we so often talk about like just personal holiness, which I think really creates a lot of difficulty in describing biblical holiness because it really is something that. Um, the community needs to be involved with. And I love how Wesley creates that, that idea of moving on towards perfection only because we receive strength in this meal um, to go beyond where we could. And, and it's not just a forgiveness of, of sins. It is a meal that strengthens the soul. It refreshes us with the hope of glory. And part of the reason it does that is because we are receiving it all together in community. So I really love that. So, so I'm I'm commenting on the third point. We're gonna go to the fourth point, and and uh, I'll let Matt respond again. The fifth one uh, with Lisa, and then I'll do the sixth one, and we'll close it out with that. How's that sound? Uh,
2: That's
0: great. All right. Okay. So the fourth point, and we'll let uh, we'll let Matt kind of uh, comment on this if if something strikes you. Um, let everyone, therefore, who has. Either any desire to please God or any love of his own soul, obey God and consult the good of his own soul by communicating every time he can, like the first Christians, or I think we could also say communing. with whom the Christian sacrifice was a constant part of the Lord's day service. And for several centuries they received it almost every day, four times a week always, and every saint's day besides. And he goes on to quote the ancient canon here. Um, doesn't really make reference to what ancient canon he's referring to, uh, but he's quoting saying, If any believer join in the prayers of the faithful and go away without receiving the Lord's Supper, let him be excommunicated as bringing confusion into the church of God. So um, that's powerful. Uh, That's a strong statement to make that if we come together and if somebody does not receive it, excommunicate him. Um, Matt, would you like to address that?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's um uh, that's characteristically Wesley, right? Just right. very um you know there's there's a method here, and you know don't don't mess with the method. And I think that's kind of probably a little bit of a hyperbole taking place as well, uh, sure. you know, just to kind of emphasize you know the 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 importance. It's like you know if we really truly believe that sacramental grace and i loved you know lisa's earlier comments just about like what grace is received here anyway mm-hmm. you know and we think of that spectrum of grace and you know it's almost like you know as we the grace of belonging is really you know how lisa how i heard lisa mention you that one part of what she had said about it and, and i think of that spectrum of grace we, it's almost like she also talked about you know just a second ago like, like that refreshing of mm-hmm. nature of grace um yeah. In fact, when I asked one of my African colleagues at uh, his local language how he translated – how they translate grace, and the word that they use is a word that they use for cool, still water. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, oh. And we lived in a very hot, humid, dusty – you're always sweaty sure. and like fresh, cool, still water. It's, it's grace, right? Yeah. Refreshing. and. And so it's like, you know, why wouldn't you? Yeah. You know, why, why wouldn't you take, why wouldn't you like walk under this waterfall? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, right. Why, why would, so, you know, you're thirsty, you, you take a drink, you know, you're hungry, you eat something. And, and so, you know, it kind of fits, I think, Wesley's understanding that grace isn't kind of situated. It's not like rooted. Uh, it's not chained to anything. But, but mm. grace is, is readily available. Hmm. Which I think is very uh, uh, much the practice of the Gospels, you know, in in Jesus's life, you know, that grace was his presence ever. You know, it's the the idea of like multiplying these loaves, not a surprise. Yeah. Turning water into wine, not a surprise. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is God revealing, breaking through, refreshing the hot, dusty, uh, um, um, mundane, world that we live in he yeah god god breaks through into this and so you know the idea of um of taking uh the eucharist as often as possible i you know i remember even in seminary sometimes you know just being able to to, i mean one of the few services i would ever miss i didn't go to most chapels you know a lot of chapels in seminary just because of time or, or even here on campus you know we have chapel three times a week but we have a eucharist we used to do it every week i think we still do and that's and that's my mind's kind of vague because I've been gone for a couple of weeks this semester. And um, you know, to, to receive that grace, you know, don't miss this opportunity. And um, you know that there's this this you you could be refreshed. You could you can dip into this cool water. And yeah, just Lisa reminded me a little bit of that when she was talking earlier. And it just you know it's it's almost like don't talk me into it. Hmm. You know, I was sold at, at cool refreshing (laughs) and you know i mean this is this is like a a no-brainer you know but it's a way to kind of tangibly you know multi-sense all five senses are engaged with responding to this this beautiful presence of god that that can be felt and um anyways that's just kind of how i that's my some of my initial thoughts
0: Cool water metaphor is one of the best I've ever heard. I really appreciate you sharing that today. That's really good. Uh, the, and, and the language
2: is so people can so some people can check up on it. it's the language Goun, uh, G O U N. I probably massacred the pronunciation of it, but it's south eastern corner of of Benin near the Nigerian border. Goo and they I don't know what the word is. Um, mm-hmm. I'd have to look up my notes. Isn't that amazing? I just love that metaphor.
0: Yeah, that's really good. And it reminds me, um, one of my professors at college at Trevecca, uh, Steve Hoskins, he used to tell this story about a Greek Orthodox church um, that he would take students to whenever they would be studying different denominations. And he said you would see in this Greek Orthodox church little children coming down, and they didn't just have like little wafers or little pieces of bread. It was like really big chunks of sweet rolls almost, you know, of the kind of bread that they would make. They said they said children would go down and, and grab them by the handful like, like like the armful I mean like they'd take three or four or five pieces with them um, and they said and nobody would stop him and and he, he asked he asked this question to our class he said why do you think nobody stopped him and uh, and the answer was because this is heaven and who would deny you here you know and 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 that was a beautiful way of, of even expressing what we try to do in worship that we're trying to create heaven on earth you know and, and a reflection of that and so that's that's beautiful along with that analogy about the the waterfall i love it well we're we're running out of time so quickly i'll go through number 5 and let you comment on it lisa and then we'll do number 6 and and be done for today all right um, but wesley said in order to understand the nature of the lord's supper it would be useful carefully to read over those passages in the gospel and in the first epistle to the corinthians 1 corinthians 11 uh, which speak of the institution of it hence we learn that the design of this sacrament is continual remembrance of the death of christ by eating bread and drinking wine which are the outward signs of the inward grace the body and blood of christ so if you have any comment to add to that feel free
3: well, I think that's just solid advice from Wesley. Um, we definitely should be looking at all of our practices, the Eucharist included, um, in light of what the scripture says. And um, I think especially um, in that first communion, that last supper that Jesus shares with the disciples, um, it's it's definitely important for us to look at that. And to maybe just going back to Wesley's very first point there, um, to remember that, you know, Jesus said, do this. This is something that it was important enough that Jesus specifically commanded that we participate in this, that we participate in it regularly. And I think anything that we see that are those words of Jesus, we really need to take that seriously and be a part of that community, um, constantly coming together and remembering Christ And remembering um, both what Christ did for us and what that means for us moving into our everyday life as we go out from the community and from the celebration of the Eucharist. And I think that might be another reason why it's so important to um, participate in communion mm-hmm. regularly. We need that grace. I love that story that you told about the children going down and getting seconds and yeah, thirds of, sure. of communion. Yeah. Um, at the Wesley conference just recently, a question was raised, what should we do with the leftover elements? And I thought to myself, we never have any leftover elements. <laughs> like the, the children, they do. They come again and again. And... Um, just to participate in communion that frequently and um, with that much enthusiasm that we want to take in as much grace as we possibly can. Hmm.
0: That's wonderful. That That's really great. Thanks for the comments on that. And I'm going to end with number six, and then I'll give you both if you want to share um, about what you have going on in your life or websites or anything like that, I'm going to let you share about that. But the sixth thing that Wesley said, and it's all we have time for today, is he said, it is highly expedient for those who purpose to receive this whenever their time will permit to prepare themselves for this solemn ordinance by self-examination and prayer. Uh, I'm going to add a little bit of my comment right there because the one thing I always heard growing up about communion is, you know, you got to prepare yourself and take self-examination. Um, it's so essential. If you don't, you're going to be condemned, you know, basically was the feeling I got. But Wesley says this. He says, if you can and if there's time... Uh, Take time for self-examination, prayer, solemn ordinance. But this is not absolutely necessary. When we have not time for it, we should see that we have the habitual preparation which is absolutely necessary and can never be dispensed with on any account or any occasion, whatever. This is, first, a full purpose of heart to keep all the commandments of God, and secondly, a sincere desire to receive his promises. So, for Wesley, if if I'm understanding him correctly, it's important if we can uh, and and it, to take time for that self-examination and prayer. But Wesley says, uh, if you haven't had time to do that, get up and do it anyway, <laughs> because <laughs> it's a command of God. And it's the sincere desire for all of us to receive from him. Um, It's not so much about how deeply we understand it or how worthy we are, although it's helpful, Wesley says. But it is really about our desire to receive from him and to receive his promise. And so um, the fact of, of following Jesus' command and the desire to receive are much more important to Wesley than whether or not our hearts were right when we first got there or whether we understand it. Um, And I think that's a very interesting thing. I think that makes Wesley unique in the scope of church history in many ways because what had been for a long time a very closed-off table, um, Wesley, while he does point out that this is the sustaining meal for the believers, that this is the believers' table, it is for Christians, he also used it as a way to make converts and to welcome people and and to say if you want to follow Christ – Uh, let this be your way of accepting you know come to the table come be a part of this and I think it's I think that's unique and I think it's beautiful Um, I I could go on and on but unfortunately time is is limited for me today and probably for you both as well Um, this has been a really wonderful treat for me to get to discuss the Lord's Supper maybe we can do it again sometime and and go a little bit further Um, but uh, Matt, do you have anything that you would like to share with our listeners kind of about what you have going on or anything that is of interest to them that they could uh, find about you?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, by the way, thank you for those. Uh, well, for the invitation, thank you for connecting Lisa and I in the conversation. It's been great to hear from from both of you and the very poignant passages from from Wesley's reminders to us of how how important and wonderful this this opportunity to receive grace uh, from God really is, and that we, we have this through the Christian community that we share together. Um, for me, there's a couple of ways to kind of stay in contact besides, you know, Facebook. I, I try to, I lurk mostly on Sacramento Nazarenes and a couple of other Facebook groups, but um, you know, you can always find me, find me uh, in some of those groups in and out, or at least just kind of somewhere in the conversations. And I also have a, a personal blog called ProfessorPrice.net. And, um, and I also have some resources from some of the classes I teach there just that I, I drop on there for, for students to access after they've had me for a class or for really really anyone else. And um, also, uh, just in the last few months, uh, have become the, the chair director, I'm not sure exact the exact title of Nazarene Organic Church Network, sure. uh, where we try to um, you know at one point we wanted to resource organic like organic expressions, you know, these, uh, relational expressions of of god's presence of his uh, you know of multiplying his mission uh into the into the local cultures that we live in and hearing lisa talk about you know their their table fellowship in her house was man that's that's it that's exactly it and so you know if there's anyone out there who is kind of in one of those expressions of the church which really don't fit any of the Uh, you know, well-known or common expressions of church or traditional uh, expressions of church that we're used to, Um, they can get uh, into contact with us. We're kind of, we have a website. We're going to start the process of revamping it over the next few weeks and months uh, at organicnazarene.org. And it's uh, officially kind of a a task force that works out of the uh, USA Canada regional office. And so just want to remind folks that that's, that's out there. And, you know, I believe that it doesn't mean that it's just kind of a, a loose and free, willy nilly kind of, you know, float fl- uh, float around on the wind kind of expression of church, especially when it's anchored to the uh, the, um, the 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 practice of the sacraments and baptism and the Eucharist that we can believe and belong in and live our lives um, outwardly. As as, as Christ would. And again, thank you, thank you again for the, the time together. I, I enjoyed it immensely.
0: Oh, good. Thank you. It, it was great having you. Lisa, how about you?
3: Sure. I would just like to echo Matt's thanks, Rick. Thank you for um, inviting me to be a part of this. And um, it was great to connect and have this conversation. What what a wonderful conversation. And um, I- if anyone is interested in some of my writing, um, I write at flipflopsglitterandtheology.com. I can also be found um, on Facebook at Flipflops and Theology. My main purpose in those pieces is to um, interact with, um, especially with lay people who are interested in exploring big theological concepts in language that we all understand. So um, I've just been doing that for a few years, um, specifically because a friend of mine asked me if I would kind of break down theology into some everyday language. And I felt like that was a great place for me to just plug into the theological educational world. Um, Also, I just wanted to say, Matt, great words about the Organic Church Network and Organic Church as a whole. Um, hopefully as we continue to have more and more conversations we will see the church springing up all over the
2: place yeah awesome wonderful and also just to, for Lisa's sake and for anyone else you know look for us at you know the Nazarene General Assembly this summer you know we're going to have uh, some organic presence there as well as well sure. as maybe a booth and a couple of workshops and luncheon and all that kind of stuff so <laughs> keep an eye out for us we, we, our goal is not so much the resource there's so many good resources out there but to uh, welcome and connect those like lisa and others that are that are meeting in, in ways that are are not so easily recognizable as church but are still very much god's presence in our world so
0: Great. Awesome. And and both of you, thank you. It has been a real pleasure to get to discuss with you today, and, and hopefully we can do it again sometime. I realize to listeners who have been listening in, some of you are not Wesleyan, and many of you come from a different background. So next time I do a conversation like this, maybe I'll try to get some non-Nazarene, non-Wesleyan tradition people to come on and, and talk about the Eucharist with you, because there is a rich tradition uh, in, in many different places that I'd love to discuss. But for today, Matt, Lisa, thank you so much for being the voices in my head this week.
1: To every daughter, every son, to every tribe and every tongue, this is the call, the heart of love. This is the invitation The table spread With bread and wine The life and blood Of Jesus Christ Take and eat This is the invitation. This is the test. Every daughter, every son, this is where
0: on the Voices in My Head podcast. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleyjames.com. Follow me on Twitter at rickleyjames. Like my artist page on Facebook at facebook.com slash rickleyjames. And keep up to date on what I'm writing at my author page on amazon.com. Make sure to follow my calendar on the website. And if you would like to have me come to your town to do a concert, a speaking engagement, or a book event, you can book me through my website by clicking on the link for Pair Booking Agency. That's P A R E booking. And finally, it would mean the world to me if you were to leave me a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast is on the internet. And now the benediction. May the God of peace, who raised Christ from the dead, strengthen your inner being for every good work. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest upon you and dwell within you this day and forevermore amen